welcome to today's episode of Art 101, Artists on the Business of Art. If you're an artist and or have a fantasy about being one professionally, these artists will give you the inside scoop into their lives, careers, and what it's really like to make your living as a fine artist, illustrator, or artisan. Your host is award-winning illustrator and designer, Michael Gibbs. Hi, this is Hope Gibbs with the Incandescent Radio Network. We are here in Virginia, in Richmond, with Robert McGank, a wonderful artist who Matthew Porter of Communication Art Magazine called a delightfully fuzzy-headed raconteur. Style Weekly named him one of Richmond's top 25 most influential artists back in September 2007, and that's just the start of the accolades that the art world has bestowed on one of their most beloved, Robert McGank. A professor of illustration, graphic design, and digital imaging, he's the chair of the Department of Communication Arts at VCU, Virginia Commonwealth University. A freelance illustrator and president of communication design, he received a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree from the Center for Creative Studies in Detroit, Michigan, and a Master of Fine Arts from Cranbrook Academy of Art in Bloomfield Hills, Michigan. He's currently in his 34th year at VCU. He's received more than 300 regional, national, and international awards for his research and professional practice in illustration and graphic design, has been recognized for excellence by organizations such as the Society of Illustrators New York, the Society of Illustrators Los Angeles, American Illustration, and the Illustrators Club of Washington, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. His work has also been included in a variety of national reviews, including Communication Arts Magazine, American Illustration Annuals, Print Magazine, the Society of Illustration Annuals, and 3x3, the Magazine of Contemporary Illustration. Robert's clients include the Washington Post, the Progressive, U.S. News and World Report, the New Republic, the Boston Globe, and the list goes on and on and on and on. So we are thrilled to be here today with this marvelous artist in his downtown office in Richmond, Virginia, to talk about his art, his career, his teaching, and his view on how the world of illustration and art has changed in the decades that he is a professional in the business. So welcome to the Incandescent Radio Network. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so tell us how you got into illustration. Did you always know you'd grow up to be an artist? Um, yeah, pretty much. I mean, if you really want the stories, and it's, I don't know that this is that unique. Um, come home from kindergarten, show my mother a picture of an Indian village, put it on the fridge, and that impressed, that impressed her. I said, okay, well, I'm going to grow up and be an artist, which I really didn't deviate from that. You know, too much, except in, well, in the 60s, I thought being a lead singer in a rock and roll band <laughs> would have been a cool thing, but um, I can't sing, I can't play any musical instruments, and this was before rap, so. <laughs> um, so then I just went back and, and said, this is what I want to do. So are there artists in your family? Um, no other artists in my family. I have three brothers and three sisters. My father used to um, draw pictures for us, which always impressed me, and my father was kind of a an amateur painter, just painted for him, just painted for himself, did some sign painting and, and things like that. So it wasn't like it was um, crazy that I said I really wanted to go and study art. They pretty much let me do do that and supported me. So that was really nice. And you had mentioned that your relatives were artists. In oh, yes. Yeah. So I come from, well, my relatives all come from Belgium. They're all Flemish. They're all, they uh, history of um, lace makers and weavers before they came to this country. So you come from good stuff. I, yeah, right. 
And you, you said your parents weren't disappointed that you went into art. That's unlike some parents. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, although, you know, I come from a blue-collar neighborhood. Uh, my father worked in a factory all of his, all of his life. My, my mother was a homemaker, you know, six children. Didn't have much, didn't have much choice there. And, um, I mean, the program that I went into was called, the first program, um, was called commercial art with a two-year degree from Ferris State College, you know, and I think because it had the idea of, well, it's commercial art, that there would probably be some employment, you know, after that. And there was, because I got a job before I graduated. After two years, I had a job. So that was, that was good. That was good, yes. Yeah. So yeah. your style is really unique. How would you describe it? The illustration style? I'd say it's... Um, Conceptual, figurative, and or abstracted figures is what I'd say. Okay, but it really attracts art directors from all kinds of magazines, U.S. News and World Report, Governing Magazine, Newsweek, Society of News Designs, Quarterly Journal. Right. So what do you think that those different kinds of publications are seeing? Well, I think they're seeing something that is, um, well, hopefully they're seeing something that's unique, something that's, you know, that is me. Um, I didn't always have this um, because I actually started off as a designer. I mean, that was when I graduated from undergraduate school. It was um, I wanted to be a graphic designer, and but when I went to undergraduate school, it was a whole lot different than undergraduate school now because if you're studying either graphic design or commercial art in undergraduate school, you all everybody took drawing, everybody took you know, a class in, um, you know, some kind of painting, you did typography, I mean, you, you did photography, I mean, these were all part of the curriculum. So you came out and you were this, this generalist, right? So I was a graphic designer who wasn't afraid to draw. So when I get assignments, I kept putting images in, in the design itself, not think, thinking that this is not two different people, that it's just, hey, you know, you give me an assignment, and I'll solve it the best way I can a lot of times including an image seemed to be um, a really appropriate solution to a you know to a given problem and I think that because I come from a design background because students ask me all this all the, all the time you know and and the way this style kind of evolved it really has to do with I don't really see myself as creating an illustration as much as I see myself as designing an image. I mean, those my the really compositions is what they are because a lot of I'm using a lot of I'm using a lot of simplified basic shapes. I mean, the the compositions essentially or the distortion that takes place in the figures is really the result of the competition uh, comp composition. I need to sort of bend a figure around one way to include the typography. Um, and so that just seems to be a natural flow for me coming from a design background. Excellent. So tell us how your, your style has evolved over the years. Um, well, I mean, when I first started as an illustrator or a designer doing drawings, I had to, um, I had a number of different directions. And I would actually get a lot of calls for, um, somebody who could, you know, kind of do a little bit of 
scratch board work. Yeah, well, we need this kind of scratch board. Oh, okay, okay I'll do this. Oh, I need a kind of a, an art deco kind of, oh, I can do that. So I would never turn down anything. And essentially, you essentially just do what the assignment, you know, requires. And because they were design assignments, I was essentially contracting myself to be a whole lot of different illustrators because why contract somebody else if I feel I could, I could do this, right? And um, at one point, and you could see the work um, kind of evolving and becoming, you know, more geometric with each assignment, it would be like, well, what did I learn from this assignment? Well, there's an interesting color palette here. There's an interesting simplification style that happened with this direction. And then you kind of just figure out, you know, what seems to be natural. And then you, working in your sketchbook, where you're essentially um, kind of um, really conceptualizing an idea in a sketchbook, it's how I drew in the sketchbooks. A lot of times I would, I would do these really great, what I thought were great little thumbnail kind of compositional things for, you know, two figures and how they might interact. And then I would shoot photo references. When I was first starting out, I shoot a lot of photo references. And then I start looking at the photographs and then it was like, you know, it's losing something because I'm looking at those photos, the, the sketch and what came out naturally to me seemed just to be more interesting. And then at one point I just thought, well, you know, what I'm seeing is more interesting to me. Maybe that's going to be more interesting to art directors. So that's what I started essentially sending out. And luckily, I found a couple of really, really good art directors um, that said, yeah, we like this. We like this stuff. We like what you do. And so just, you know, here's the assignment. Just do what you do. And that's really, really good. And for what publications were those? Well, one of them, the, one of the big ones, City, Washington City Paper, Yandos Rothstein. Um, he was a great, um, he was a terrific art, art director. He pretty much let me do what I wanted. In fact, I remember one time when he had a rush deadline, it was like on a, I got a call on a Thursday, they needed it on a Monday, and so I says, okay, well, I'll send you sketches tomorrow. And he says, well, I'm not going to be, I might not be in the office. So when you send the sketches, if I'm not there, you just pick the one you want to do and just do it anyways. I mean, isn't that a great, yeah. a great art director? <laughs> and then Tyler Darden from Virginia Living. Um, I mean, actually, Tyler Darden was a great designer, but he was actually a former student, went out there because it's pretty, you, 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 uh, you have a student in class and they go out there, they become designers and art directors and they're buying illustration and then they call you up to get you to work for them. But Tyler Darden was, a, was an art director who had enough confidence in what I had taught him to say, do what you want to do. And so then you can kind of evolve into a kind of a personal direction. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. So tell us about the shift from into digital. Was that a hard shift to make? Um, actually, yes, um, because at that time you know we're talking early early 80s and I was starting to well or mid 80s I'm starting to get into before that I was doing a lot of uh, gouache work and scratchboard work right and um, then I started doing um, larger work I said well those things have limits and so then I started doing oil paintings and I thought man this is really great because you can do work very very large scale you know, doing oil paints. And um, and then 
because I was teaching a class, and this happened, this has happened twice. This happened with color, and it happened with with digital drawing, where they said, "Oh, we we need somebody to teach a class in digital drawing." And I said, "Well, it ain't me. Mm -hmm. I, I I like what I'm doing. I like the hand work, but okay, I'll go ahead and do a class in digital drawing. You know, see seeing what's seeing what's happening." And so I did get um, Photoshop and uh, Freehand, which was the precursor to Illustrator, I guess, and started, you know, started playing around with them. And what really kind of tripped it for me was getting a Wacom tablet, because then it's like drawing. And I'm doing Scratchboard. And if you're doing Scratchboard, there's this real kind of moment when it's like, okay, I've got this black coated piece of of um, clay paper or clay board. Essentially, I'm going to take a stylus and I'm going to start carving in it. When I make that first mark, it's like down, you know? And you make the second mark, it's down and there's no going back. And so you get this, you're kind of apprehensive about where it is you're, you're going. But with Illustrator, um, even when you're working, when I first started off, it was really just bitten up, just black and white. But I found that I could mimic the scratch board work in Photoshop really nicely with a tablet. And the great thing is, you know, you kind of, you'd be a little bit more experimental because it's like, well, try this, try this. And if I don't like it, just go back and, you know, I mean, command Z, you know, boom, <laughs> just, go, just go back and go back and go back. And I do remember one story where I got a call. I had an agent um, in Pittsburgh and he, he gave me a, an assignment to do a scratchboard piece. And I said, um, you know, I really want to do this digitally. And he said, no, the client wants Scratchboard. And it's like, okay. But when I was sending the stuff to clients, I was never sending the final Scratchboard pieces. I was sending a photograph of the Scratchboard. I was getting a photostat, which is a high contrast photocopier. And I was sending that off. And I said, okay, I'll do it in Scratchboard. And I did it in Photoshop, printed it out, shot a photostat of that and sent it off. And he said, See, you can't get this feeling in in in, in Photoshop in digital, and it's like I never even told them that it was done done digitally, and so from then on, I never even asked anybody because, you know, it was a lot of scratchboard work, and I could and I, you know, and I could do that. And then what I think really kind of because I was getting involved in in oil painting and gouache painting, and oil painting takes forever to dry. You know, um, I got a program. Um, painter and it was one of the early first versions of painter with all those natural brushes and it was like wow this is this is a whole lot of fun and I could be really experimental so I was trying all kinds of different I mean I was just like a just like a kid with a new toy playing trying charcoal brushes and pastel brushes and wet oil brushes and watercolor brushes and every assignment was just like and because again because I, I was still a a designer who was contracting myself to do illustration, it wasn't, I was art directing myself essentially. So it's essentially try, try charcoals, try pastels, try this, try that, you know, um, play around with it. And so it kind of just um, seemed, um, you know, seemed natural that all that would then evolve. And it was like, okay, well, now I really would like to continue to paint, but now it's next to impossible because nobody gives you the deadlines, <laughs> you know, to do to do an oil painting. I don't know how anybody does an oil painting unless they get the long deadline. And I don't get long deadlines. They're really, really quick. I'm working in an editorial market, you know. It used to be that you'd get two weeks to do the sketches and two weeks to do a, a final, and now you get two days to do the sketches and two days to do a to do a final. 
and it's like if I didn't have digital, um, it'd be pretty hard to survive. Do you think your work would be better if you were doing it not digital? I think, I mean, I still really like the tactile kind of feeling that you get from brushes. And I really, I mean, I, I, I like everything about about painting. I like the, I even like the smell of linseed oil and turpentine. I mean, I really do. And, but it's just, do I think it would be better? I think it would be different. I think I'd produce a whole lot less work. I mean, I'm, I mean, even as a part-time illustrator, because I'm now, I'm pretty much up at school. I'm chair of the department now. I'm up at school all the time. You know, I think I was producing a about 300 illustrations a year. Now I'm down to about 100 a year, you know, um, kind of a thing like that. Can I, could I do that doing traditional media? No. And what really interests me now are the concepts, the ideas, being able to essentially, you know, get a story, get an article, read it, sketch it out, produce it, send it off, get another story, you know. So I don't really... Um, I think I'd probably get, get bored if I spent now two weeks doing a single piece. I like doing them, yeah, get it done with and get on to the next, because I like the challenge of, of, the, of the concept of coming up with the ideas. And I can do a whole lot more of that working digitally than I can um, working traditionally. So tell, tell us about your work at school. How did you get into teaching at VCU? Um, wow, okay, so. I graduated from undergraduate school. This is in Detroit, Michigan. I, um, and, and there, of course, you took a portfolio around. And those portfolios, I mean, they were, they were, they were huge. They were four feet by six feet because you're putting posters in there. You're walking around the city. And all I did was go from studio to studio to studio saying, hey, you know, can I get a job here? You know? And I got a job, I think, within a week of getting my bachelor's degrees in one of the really top studios in, in Detroit, Graphic House. And I was really, really thrilled. But it was an apprentice job. And I was essentially making coffee, cutting mats, doing everything for all the other designers, and then staying there at night and asking them if they would give me one of their assignments and I'll just do it too, you know. And you started picking up a little bit of, a little bit of that. And I started getting work that way just by just by you know doing that stuff, um, shooting um, photo stats and, and things like that, just being kind of like, I mean, I didn't have, I was you know, still living in my parents' attic, you know, kind of a thing like that, and just going to work. I worked 90 hours a week, you know, kind of a thing like that, but I was having a great time. Mm -hmm. It was really, really great. But so then when I built up a portfolio, I went to another design studio and got actually hired on as a designer, and I had apprentices. This is really cool. Um, but at that time, the studio business in Detroit was in, um, in real trouble because it was really kind of like the studio owners, they owned you. I mean, they would, they would, you know, you never, you never knew if you were getting home that night, you know, the art, the uh, salesmen would go out and have their lunches and then four o'clock come in and I told them they could have this tomorrow morning. So nobody's going home, you know, um, and so you were working really under some pretty uh, trying conditions. I mean, they owned your soul. They owned everything. I mean, they essentially owned every bit of artwork you did. It was all work for hire, right? Studio owned it. They get it. You know, they can do anything they want with it. 
And this was really, really frustrating. And I was in on the ground of what is now the Graphic Artists Guild, which was really kind of the base union. And this was in Detroit. So I know that unions are not big now and, and all of that. I mean, this is a right-to-work state. But there it was because I came from a blue-collar town. You know, everybody worked for the automobile companies. Everybody was in a union. And it was like this seemed natural for me to essentially be in the ground on the forming of a union for artists. And I was essentially the shop steward to try to organize a studio. And we wanted to go out and pick it, which we did. And essentially got the National Labor Relations Board to come in and essentially say, okay, well, this is going to be the first union house, but you have to vote for it. And so everybody got the vote, and we lost by um, we lost by one vote. Um, but the reason we lost was because the older guard, the guys who had made it through this this condition, and now were getting salaries, and were now getting they were the guys that got to go home at night. They said it was kind of like this um, hazing thing. I went through it. I don't. I think everybody should go through this thing, and so they essentially turned down the union. And when the union failed, I said, "Well, I I can't do this anymore." Then, so I went on to graduate school, and I think I applied to Cranbrook. It was like on a Wednesday one week. They called me in for an interview on Friday, and they said, "Can you start on Monday?" And I walked into the studio and said, "Yeah, I'm quitting. I'm going to graduate school." And then you go to graduate school, and again, this is for design. This isn't for illustration. Um. So then you're into, you know, you're studying design, and then you graduate, and it's like, oh, now I got a master's degree. Now what do I do? Do I go back to the, do I go back to the studio system? And so I, I said, no, maybe I'll try teaching. I mean, I got a master's degree, might as well put it to use. And I told my mom, I said, mom, I love you, but I'm getting as far away from Detroit as I can. And the reason is, is because. I don't want to come back to Detroit. I want to get out. I want to see the world. So I got a job in California. Went to California for two years. Then went up to Canada for a year in Edmonton, Alberta. And then, you know, then we came here. And it was like, um, and I told my wife that, oh, we'll go, we'll go to Virginia. We'll just go there for two years. And then I'll apply someplace else. So we'll just, I had this plan. All we were going to, was never going to get tenure. was just going to keep going from place to place. And we were going to see the world. And all I was going to do was just teach two years here, two years there, two years there, and stuff like that. But then we came, we came here. We had a son. And Richmond is actually a really nice, when you're from Detroit, you go to Los Angeles with its smog, you go to, and Canada was beautiful. But I mean, 20 below zero in Edmonton, Alberta. And then you come here and it's like, Okay, you're trying to find something not to like about Richmond. It's pretty hard to find something you don't like about Richmond when you're from. And and I love Detroit. I mean, I, I still love Detroit, you know. But when you're from Detroit and you, you, you make this kind of pivot, and it's like, I don't know. And so we've been here ever since. Excellent. So, yeah. And you worked your way up through the school system? Oh, so then I, sure, then I worked my, I, sure, I got started off, um, you know, as a, as an assistant, and then went up early for tenure, got associate, made it to, then I went up again and got full professor, and then, you know, last year, the job of chairman came open, and I never really wanted to be an administrator, because I like teaching too much, and I think you have to have the right personality, I mean, you really have to like like students, and I do. I mean, I really like students because I like talking to them. I like hearing about what they're into. I want to hear their music. You know, I want to find out, you know, what they think is cool, 
you know, kind of a thing like that. And um, so when the job of chairman came open, I said, I don't really, I don't really, really want to be an administrator. I really want to continue to teach. And then I said, well, you know, I've been complaining about all the stuff that these guys should be doing for 34 years. It's got to do, why don't we do this? Why don't we do this? Why don't we do this? I said, you know, I think I'll take the job as chairman and I'm going to do all that stuff. Now I'm finding out why you can't do it all. <laughs> There's an awful lot of red tape involved, um, you know, you know, in that. But, and I've always said that, you know, I can, um, I can practice without teaching, but I cannot teach without practicing. I don't know how somebody would teach this unless they're practicing every day. Because I don't know what you what you go in and, and talk to the students about, or you become, you know, dysfunctional in five years. This business is changing way too fast. So I really, I mean, I really am half here, you know, and half up at school. So what is the most important lesson that you're teaching your students? What is the most important lesson? Well, now it's that they have to be entrepreneurial. I mean, that really is the driving force because, and, and they, they've got their heroes, you know, and that's, and that's fine, but you keep having to tell them, you know, you can't do what those guys did. They grew up in a different world. There was a different climate when they were climbing that ladder, when they had to, when they had to make it. The studio system doesn't exist anymore. I mean, yeah, there are a few studios, a few design studios left in, in Richmond, but it's mostly a freelance market. I mean, if you if you're in a studio, you're still competing with you're still competing with freelancers, illustrators that used to be when I started off, used to be attached to studios because studios used to have a photographer on staff, a couple of illustrators on staff, some production person on staff, some designers, some salespeople. That's what a studio was. Well, that doesn't exist anymore. Illustrators are really freelance. I mean, is what they are. So, so it's like, okay, what you have to do is you have to figure out what it is that makes you different than everybody else that's out there. I mean, we accepted, we are, I don't want to even tell you how many students we accepted into our program, you know, this year. It's huge. We're the number one public art school in the country. We're getting a huge draw. And it's like, what we've got to do is figure out how not to, not, how not, if I'm graduating 60 seniors a year, which is, I think we're graduating about 60 seniors, they don't all come, I don't want 60 clones of, I don't want 60 clones of me, I don't want 60 clones of Sterling. I mean, they would be happy to essentially imitate Sterling or somebody else, or imitate George Pratt or somebody like that. We don't want you to be an imitator, we want you to be, you know, the guy who's essentially changing the way people look at it. And that, you have to have a real entrepreneurial spirit. I mean, you have to essentially say, this is what I do that's different, and this is how I'm going to make my mark. Not repeating the mark that somebody else made, but my mark. We're all about entrepreneurialism here at Incandescent, so we are very glad to hear that. Uh, my husband, as you know, and Michael Gibbs is um, an illustrator, a very successful one, and He's been a freelancer for 35 years, so it's fascinating to watch his work change as well. And I, I wish he was here to, to talk to you, and maybe we'll, we'll do that again. Mm -hmm. um, so what do you think, what do you want your legacy to be? My legacy? Wow, I don't know. Am I, do I have to start thinking about legacies? <laughs> um, uh, well, I guess up at school, I... I, I we used to be part of a larger department, communication, arts and design. We split, became 
communication arts. And I think up at school, I really want to, to establish communication arts as a as a major component of the School of the Arts at, you know, at, VC, at VCU. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I've, I've always said, you know, my, my epitaph, I want my epitaph to read, you know, it was fun while it lasted <laughs> because I do have a good time. I mean, I really, really enjoy what I do. You know, for me, this really isn't, you know, it really isn't isn't work. I mean, I come in in the morning, I have a cup of coffee, I turn on the, I turn on some music, I love rock and roll, turn on some music, I draw pictures, people send me money. It's like, man, I'm having a great time, you know, and I've always tried to impress on the students that, you know, I mean, you really have to enjoy what it is you do. If you're looking at this as, as, as work, I don't think there's much of a future for you because I think you have to do it because you want to do it. I think the money can come and luckily I think it's come for me I mean I'm I'm pretty happy you know um but the fact that I still enjoy coming into work I mean I'm 65 years old I've been doing this for a very long time 40 years or so I mean I forget how long but a very long time I've been I've been doing this and the fact that you know in fact you know I told you about that that um going into work that first day when I was an, when I was an apprentice. I, I mean, I was so excited. I got a job, and I ran home. I drove home, actually. You know, I drove home. I ran into the kitchen, and I was so happy. I went up to my mother, and I said, I got a job. And she was congratulating me. She says, that's fantastic. What are you going to make? And I paused and said, you know, I forgot to ask them. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't believe that these guys were actually were going to, I was going to get to do this stuff. And I actually had to call the guy back that I interviewed with and said, you know, what am I going to make? My mom wants to know what I'm going to make. You know, and it was $1.75 an hour. And it was like, okay, you know, it's not the way that she had a job because um, it, um, it was minimum wage back, back then. Um, but I was still so excited. And then the fact that I can still, <coughs> on a Monday, look forward to coming into work after all these years, is, that's pretty rewarding. You know, I know when my father retired... I asked him, you know, was he glad to retire? And he said, yes. He said, I, I never liked going into work. And I thought, I mean, he worked in a company for 35 years, you know, going into the factory. And I thought, this is really, really sad. He did that because he felt he had to. He didn't like going into work. And me, I like going into work, you know? It's like, I mean, when some people say, well, you know, what do you want? To, what do you want to do when you retire? I mean, it's like, okay, so I draw pictures, I drink coffee, you know, I listen to music. When I retire, I'm going to draw pictures, drink coffee, <laughs> and listen to music. Right? It's the same thing. That's what I want to do. So what is next for you? Are you, are you ever going to retire? Um, yeah, I'm going to retire. But then I'm probably going to drink coffee, listen to music, and draw pictures on my own. You know, I'd like to write more books. I wrote one one last year, and I think I'd like to write and illustrate, you know, a few more books. I don't get enough time to do, you know, that on my own. So, yeah, I think in a few years I'll retire and do my own thing. But I'm not, it's really not going to be any different. It's just that I'll probably stay home and do it instead of coming into the office. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it, and we hope to definitely have you back again. Uh, we're very proud that our daughter is going to VCU Arts in the fall. Anna Gibbs will be a photographer and a psychology major, so she will be an art therapist when she grows up, hopefully. And I hope that she gets to take one of your classes. Okay. So thank, thank you. you, Robert. Okay. We'll be back in touch. You are listening to the Incandescent Radio Network. 
This is Art 101, Artists on the Real World of Art. We'll talk to you soon. That's it for today's episode of Art 101, Artists on the Business of Art, hosted by award-winning illustrator and designer Michael Gibbs. Be sure to check back next week on the Incandescent Radio Network for another interview with an artist in the know. Here's to living your dreams.